each and every one of you. Thank each and every one of you for, for joining us again this evening. Certainly hope you were able to, to be with us this morning and listen to, to Jason's message as he starts, he and Roger start off our, our series that we'll be going throughout the rest of the year. So if you were unable to, to do so, I encourage you to, to take a listen to that. For those joining us on live stream, we want to to extend a, a warm welcome to you as well. We certainly hope that you can be uh, here with us sometime soon in the future. The 2004 Boston Red Sox are one of the most famous, most well-known, most talked about teams in baseball history. They were the first team in franchise history in some 86 years to win the, the World Series, to win the championship. And they had come in that 86-year span in between titles. They had come so close time and time again uh, to getting to that, to that ultimate goal with different failures, different problems that, that have come up in the way. In some ways, they became a laughingstock. People in Boston almost felt like it was time for them to, to give up on, on cheering on the Red Sox because their beloved Red Sox could never quite get across that, that final hurdle. The 2004 team, in part, why it was so special, why it's so remembered, is not just because they won or because of the, the Hall of Fame players they had on the team or the, the larger-than-life personalities that, that some on the team had. They are a historic team in, in that nature. They were the only team in baseball history to have come back from losing the first three games in a best-of-seven series to win the next four. And they did that against uh, their most hated rival, the New York Yankees, who just in the year prior, in 2003, had knocked them out in the American League Championship Series in a walk-off home run in extra innings of Game 7. Almost the, the biggest heartbreak of all heartbreaks if you're a, a Red Sox fan in some ways. But we're not talking about them. I'm not using this as a, an illustration to kick us off this evening because of how good their baseball team or how fun some of their personalities were. But during that offseason, in, in between 2003 and in, in between the 2004 season, uh, the Red Sox organization, their sponsors, they put up a billboard just outside Fenway Park, and on the billboard said just three words, uh, of course with a sponsorship, of course, but the three words were, keep the faith. And since they had won the World Series, there have been movies, documentaries, books, uh, interviews upon interviews from fans, from ownership, from players that have all referenced that sign as being a, a reminder, a, a helpful reminder to them to whenever things were maybe not looking so good, whenever they were in the midst of a, a losing streak, whenever they had to, to make a tough decision, when things maybe didn't look as great as they could be, you know, there are some players that said they would make an error on the field and then they would look up and look at that sign and, and just those three words and remember that there was something bigger at stake and, and, and remember where they were in the grand scheme of things. So it's not an exact one-to-one -one, uh, translation for you here tonight, but our, our, my hope is that our time together can be served with, with our billboard, with our own, our own billboard of, uh, of sorts, that, that we can, can look at the terminology from some Second Corinthians to widen your heart and that we can can use it and be productive uh, from it as we go throughout this week. As what we're going to do, if you've been following along in our daily Bible readings throughout the past month, you would have noticed that we had just finished 
Second uh, Corinthians. If you haven't been following along, now's a great opportunity for us to do so. At the start of a, a new month, we're, we're just started uh, just this past weekend, uh, entering into a, a, a few new books. So what we're going to be doing is drawing a connection from where we've been in our daily Bible readings in 2 Corinthians. And my hope is to, to be able to, to connect it with a thread with where we're going to be this week in our, our Bible reading. This week we're going to get through, uh, enter the, the book of Exodus. So we're going to be spending a little bit of time in those two books, 2 Corinthians and Exodus this evening. And certainly hope that, that, that we can, can bring something to life for you that is, that is helpful, that is impactful for you in some way. And if you have been reading, if you haven't, that's perfectly okay. We're going to be spending a little bit of time here right now as to get started reading from 2 Corinthians. But when Paul is writing to the church at Corinth here in 2 Corinthians 6, he has a, an imperative, uh, a reminder, a, a billboard, a challenge, if you will, that, that, that this phrase that, that we are using for our title of our lesson tonight, to widen your heart, is what he says. So we'll read that now. If you want to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. It says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Widen your hearts also. Again, that's going to be our, our billboard. That's going to be our frame of reference for a reminder for our time this evening. And please don't uh, take me out of context. I know there's a specific context with which Paul is writing to the church at Corinth here. Um, and I'm not trying to impede on that or, or take away from that and just cherry pick it out. But for our purposes, that phrase, widen your hearts, is something that I think we can actively uh, take a, a hold of, a reminder to use to, to put on our, our own billboard as our own reminder for us this week. And so that's where we're going to be spending a little bit of time, making that phrase personable and applicable in each and every one of our lives. If first we're going to, to widen our hearts, I think there, there should be a, a, a common understanding of what do we mean when we say widen. What do you mean when you say widen your heart? Well, there's, look no further than the Webster's definition uh, in the dictionary of what it means to widen. And to widen means to increase the width, scope, or extent of something. To increase the width, scope, or extent of something. And there are certainly some unique ways that we know uh, how to use this word that we can characterize uh, to widen in our own common vernacular. You may think of something as simple as widening uh, a hole. If you're digging for a basketball goal or a swing set, you can dig a little bit of the hole 
But if it's not enough for, for the pole to go in, then what good is a basketball goal is if as soon as you put it up, it falls right over? So you may need to, to widen that hole, the area around the hole. If you, perhaps on your way here tonight, you drove in, in by some traffic, perhaps they've been, we've been widening some roads in, in Sellersburg, certainly, so you, that may be, be something that has come to your mind when you think of what it means to widen, take it from two lanes to three lanes or to four lanes. Or even as we approach the, the holiday of Thanksgiving and all the food that we're gonna have, we understand what it means to widen the waistband. They, the clothes don't fit as exactly as they once did. But in all of these things, I think understanding what, what it means to widen is really that there's a change that, that takes place. Something is one thing, and then it is expanded, and it grows into another. And the point I really want to underscore and emphasize with you uh, on that note tonight is that once that change is made, it is almost impossible to get it back to its original way it was. Perhaps that, that hole definition uh, is the best one. Because once you dig the circumference of a hole, you can put all the dirt you want to back into that hole, but it will not be the same size as it once was. So there's a change, a true change, that is, that is made. So when we are speaking of, of widening our hearts, that is what we're, we're talking about. And so as, as my brain sort of processed what it is to, to widen our heart, there, there then of course come some of those, those questions that, that we look up. So first, who or what am I to widen my heart to? Who or what am I to widen my heart to? We read there from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, just a few chapters earlier, Paul is speaking to his second letter of the Corinthians. And if you would read with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3 now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. The God of all comfort is who Paul has identified, has described, as explaining in his second letter here to, to those at Corinth. That is how Paul describes Christ, or God, the God of all comfort. And if you would, I said we were gonna be going back into Exodus. God, on, on, whereas Paul is describing God as the God of all comfort to the Corinthians, let's take a look at how God describes himself to Moses. Turn with me if you back in your Bible to Exodus chapter three. Exodus chapter three, no doubt one of the more well-known passages, one of the more well-known chapters, uh, whether you are young or old, because this is the chapter where Moses speaks with, with the burning bush. We're all very uh, familiar, I'm sure our children are familiar with, with that imagery, or imagery in, in, in discussing it. So read with me, if you would, of, of how God describes himself to Moses, starting in verse 11. Verse 11 of Exodus chapter 3. It says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? 
He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So whether it is Paul describing God to the Corinthians or God describing himself and revealing himself to Moses, we have a pretty clear picture of, of this who we are to be widening our hearts to. And as verse 15 says, this was not just time and, and place for, for those two situations, but it's applicable for us as to we are to, thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. We fit into that all generations category. So now that we know who or what we are to widen our hearts to, there there's always usually pops up in a question like, okay, once we've identified whatever it is, well, well why should I? What's the, what's the, the reasoning for it? What's the, the impetus? What, what's in it for me, we might selfishly think sometimes. And to those points in our lives, the I am is. We should widen our hearts we should change our hearts because the I am is. Read with me, if you would, just a few verses earlier that we skipped over in Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 4. Exodus 3, beginning in verse 4. It said, When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And then as we read, Moses asks, well, well why me? And then God reveals himself as the I am, I am has sent you. So for, back to our purposes, for our reminder, for our own billboard of why should I widen my heart. For us knowing that the I am is, I think is a, a key factor in that. The I am is. And again, there's a specific context with which God is talking to Moses here at, at the burning bush. I'm not suggesting that we should go talk to our own bushes in our own yard or catch something on fire and speak to it. Um, but the I am is in our lives, he is today. And look no further than, than verse seven of Exodus three with which 
God is, is showing us. He has those, those three bullet points that I have up on the, on the screen. Listen to, to what he tells Moses. I have surely seen and have heard their cry. I know their sufferings. So in our lives, when we are, are facing these, these difficulties, and we begin to wonder, you know, I haven't, I haven't really been, been feeling like myself. Things have, have been difficult, me, difficult for me. I've had all these struggles. You know, I just, I feel personally that I'm, I'm, I'm hurting. There's something that's heavy on my heart. But when I talk to others, when I'm going in and, in and around and about, nobody else seems to, to notice that, that something's just not quite right with me. And so we begin to wonder, well, does anybody notice? Does anybody see what's going on? And we have a God that says, I am. I do. I see. And then we struggle, when we have voiced these, these hurts, when we voice these confusions, these difficulties, these, these things that are weighing heavy on us to, to others, and we can explain to them as many times as we can, and it just very clearly is not connecting with them. It, it's almost a deer-in-the-headlights sort of look, that what we are saying, what we are pouring out to somebody, talking about the problems, the difficulties, the, the feelings, the hurts that we are going through, when we don't see that connection, when, when it feels like we're not being heard, we're not being listened to, we may begin to wonder, we may begin to ask, is anybody listening? Does anybody care? And we have a God that says, I am. And lastly, there are different things that, that we are facing, the different things that the members of our own church family have been facing, whether it is death of a loved one, uh, health diagnosis that was unexpected, different problems and, and confusions that, that have sprung up throughout life in the past 18 or so months. And we can, we can talk to people as much as we want about it. We can try and to explain it to them. And it just, they clearly, people, it just, when you were trying to converse it, when we're trying to voice our, our pains, our hurts, it just doesn't connect, and it's, it's almost as if, well, nobody else has, has gone through this. How could you possibly understand? Does anybody understand? Does anybody, does anybody really care? Does anybody really know what I'm going through? Ladies and gentlemen, we have a God who says, I am, and I do. And more so than that, although those are, those are all comforting thoughts, it's not the, the full picture that we have of God. It would be one thing for God to, to sit up in heaven and, and look down and say, oh, there's, there's Zach. Zach's, Zach's got a broken heart. Zach's, Zach's really been struggling here over these past few weeks, these past few months. This has been a tough, tough road for Zach. And just sit up there and just, it's one thing to, to see, to hear, to know. But building on that, not only is the I am is, but he who is, is active in our lives. He does not just sit up there and, and look down and reference. He is active in our lives. You can see some of that action there in Exodus chapter 3, but I think for our purposes, let's go back to, to 2 Corinthians uh, to pull out what, what Paul is, is, 
discussing as Paul brings forward this to, to the church at, at Corinth, to those listening. As he described God to them as the God of all comfort in chapter 1, the first few verses, look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, just a, a few short verses after we are reminded, after he gives them that imperative to widen your hearts. So he who is, is active in our lives. Read with me, if you would, 2 Corinthians 7, verses 5 through 7. It says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. And we'll pause there in, in verse 7. So, he who is, is active in our lives. And if you will, just spend a, a little bit of time here with me doing a, a bit of a textual analysis of, of these three verses and looking at, at what all they have up on the screen. Paul is telling those at Corinth his condition. As we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. He's tired. He is, is weary. Afflicted at every turn is what he says. There are certainly a context. There's a reason there's a second letter to the Corinthians because not everything was, was as perfect as it, as it could have been or as it should have been for the church in Corinth. Had no rest. Tired. Weary. Fighting without and fear within is how he describes that time period, that going on. And I don't know about you, but when I think of ways to describe the past 18 to 24 months, even 18 to 24 years, I can't count on 25 years, 24 is my cutoff, so I'm going to go ahead and guess that 25 years ago this might be an accurate description of what life could have been like. Again, fighting without fears within. What we see and what we feel is not always comfort. What we see and what we feel is not always what we want to. There's a, there's a burden. Sometimes our hearts are heavy. Paul's heart was heavy, as he says there in verse 6, who comforts the downcast. New American Standard Version, if you're reading from that, doesn't have that word downcast, but uses the word depressed. Depressed. Bummed out completely. Uh, like a, a rain cloud of some sorts, just over you at all times. That's the type of, of, of hurt. That's the type of, of struggle that Paul is going through. And I, know I almost titled the lesson those first two words of, of verse 6, but God, because when we come across those, those points in the scriptures, when we come across those instances in our lives, we all have some of those but God's that we can fill in the blanks with, with how the rest of our sentence can go in. I was headed down this path where I was going to, to do this thing, but God sent someone or God sent something to help me. You know, I was uh, addicted to this. I was having real struggles getting away from this, but God, and then you can, can fill in your own blanks. So those but God opportunities in our lives, I think, are, are one way to, to show us that not only the I am is, but the I am is, the I am who is, is active in our lives. And then thirdly there, we can identify exactly what or how Paul finishes that, 
that but God thought. The God of all comfort, as the previous slide said, comforts. But God comforted us by the coming of Titus. And I, you may have noticed, I kind of like the, the secondary or tertiary characters in the Bible a bit. And we're not going to spend really any time focusing on Titus or who he was or what he did. But this idea of a Titus in, in Paul's context is what I wanted to, to spend just a moment thinking about. You know, we're entering really, a, what, a week into the month of November now where the world has sort of trained everything and everyone to, to look in at, at being thankful. And that's, that's wherever you look, we are, we are focused in on that idea of, of giving thanks, of identifying it. And I know I've not done the, the best job. I've tried to get better in, in recent years of, of voicing that thankfulness to, to certain people, to, to certain things who, who have been helpful to me, to the different Tituses that we have uh, in all of our lives. Certainly there are no doubt a number of Tituses here in our congregation sitting here tonight for those watching at home. We can all think of a Titus who has helped us, who has comforted us, who has, who has benefited us, who has, has helped us in our struggle, who has helped us in our difficult days. And maybe, maybe just maybe, we should spend a little bit more time being thankful for them and, and letting them know our thanks to them, but then also thanking God for sending somebody to help us, like God sent Titus. So thirdly, not only are we to widen our hearts, as that big billboard reminder, to the I am, we know that the I am is, we know that he who is, is active in our lives. So then lastly, maybe that, that final W question is, well, well, when? When am I to do this? What's the... What's the urge? Read with me, if you would, in 2 Corinthians, verse 1. We skipped over verses 1 and 2 for a reason at the very beginning. So let's go back there now. 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the favorable day. Verse 2 there, Paul is quoting from an Old Testament prophet, but I think that, and again, this is a very specific context with what Paul is, is te teaching those and writing to those who are listening at Corinth, so I don't want to pull out and, and disregard that specific context that, that he's using. But for our purposes, when we see those, those words, that now is the time, now is the day of salvation. That gets us back, I think, to, to our, our very definition of what it means to, to widen our heart. There's a change, as we mentioned, that was made. It was something originally, and it has grown. It has expanded. And there's, like we mentioned for the word and definition of to widen, there's no going back to what this change is. And now is the time for us to, to make that change, for us to, to follow that imperative, for us to widen our own hearts. As we close here this evening, Jason wrote in one of his reading, uh, Bible reading devotionals back in 
October of 2019. And I thought this was a perfect way for us to, to close up. Jason, I don't remember if you remember writing this, but I think this is a perfect place for us to, to close up. When we we're thinking of this idea of when, well, well, why is now the right time? We know who we're to widen our hearts to. We know why we're widening our hearts. We know when we're supposed to, but, but how do we do that? How do we, how do we widen those hearts? So Jason wrote this as one of his reading reflections. It says, Psalm 75, verse 1. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. Jason writes, I am who I am, was the name revealed to Moses in Exodus 3. Thousands of years later, we continue to give thanks, for I am is near. Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him, and all who call on him in truth. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and saves the crushed in spirit. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. It's what Psalm 85, 9 says. And Jason continues on, and he wrote, When something is near... It's close in distance, not far away. When someone is near, they can be involved. When help is near, it's available. And a savior who is near can be depended on. Nearer my God to thee can be our confident prayer today, not because we are worthy or deserving or special, but because the name of our gracious God is near. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What an incredible, incredible invitation that is for each and every one of us gathered here this evening. So if you're ready and willing to, to widen your hearts, to, to make that, that true change to the one who is, to the one who is active in our lives, and the one who is near to each and every one of us tonight. If you're ready to be immersed in the waters of baptism or you need prayers in any way, we ask that you come forward as we stand and as we sing.